Welcome to Speaking of Grace, the weekly message podcast from the Whole Life Church in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, and multi-generational congregation committed to our mission of loving people into a lifelong friendship with God. We are committed to our vision of being a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. Hey there, family. I hope you had a lovely week. As I always like to tell you, if you didn't, then you came to the right place. I know that you've already spent some time with Jesus this morning, and let's spend a little bit more time with him. What do you say? Yeah. So we are doing a series of sermons called Great Question, and uh, I uh, just want to thank you, Andy, for instituting this. It's not awkward or scary at all. Um, So, no. This is my second round of it. And uh, this is where you as a church uh, congregation get to send your questions in. You send them in about a month or two ago. And uh, our worship pastor, Pastor Tammy, has taken those questions. Some, some she's kind of put together, others she's just taken on their own, and she's kind of filtered through them and picked the ones. Now, here's the thing. I don't get to know what they are ahead of time. So I, like next week's sermon, I'll find out at the end of this sermon what, what I'm going to be preaching on. So again, thanks, Andy. Um, it's actually really fun. I really enjoy it. So today's question that was asked last week is this. If all humanity is the family of God, and Jesus tells us that he has sheep in other folds, does that mean people of other faiths outside of Christianity could have a relationship with God and be part of God's kingdom? That is a great question. Can I ask you another question? Can I ask a question for a question? Is treating everybody the same fair? Think about it. Just, you know, just thinking about it in your mind. Is treating everybody the same fair? I'll let you ponder that as we kind of go through the sermon. Let's, let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, on a question like this, I don't want to speak my thoughts and opinions. I really want to get it right, and I want to say what you have to say. And so, Lord, I do pray that if you don't want me to say something, you wouldn't let me. But I pray that what I do speak would come directly from you. I pray these things in your name. Amen. All right. So we have the question. Basically, can, do you have to be a Christian to be saved? Right? That, can I condense it down to that? So there are two schools of thoughts, obviously, on this. There's those who say, no, absolutely not. Why? Well, Romans 10 says it this way. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So you got to go ahead and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. You have to believe that God raised him from the dead. So if you're not a Christian, you're not believing that. If you happen to be in a country that's never heard about Jesus you know, sorry. Um, and, and you say, and, and then somebody says, well, that's not fair. And then they pull this next verse out. Um, when a potter makes jars of, out of clay, doesn't he have a right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and another to throw garbage into? And so there's basically the argument is, this is the way to be saved. 
And who are we to tell God how to do his job? And on the outside of that, I can be like, yeah, God is sovereign. God does have the right to do what God wants to do. I mean, he's God. He can do it. My question is, just because he can do it, is that what he chooses to do? Does God just look at some people and go, well, (laughs) sorry that that's where you wound up. Boy, Ken, aren't you lucky. You were born into the Seventh-day Adventist faith at the right time in history. Congratulations. Salvation is open to you. But sorry to that person born in another part of the world who didn't have that opportunity. Or may I even put it one step further? This became very, um, this hit hard on my soul when I lived on the island of Guam. Um, When the missionaries came to Guam, they came with the word of God and a sword. And it was believe or die. And they did a good job of being pretty ruthless in their proclamation of the gospel. And it's not just on Guam, it's happened in a lot of places. So my question is, when Jesus is proclaimed that way, does God say, well, the method wasn't great, and I can understand why, well, you know, I can understand why you might be a little angry that, you know, your parents were killed, but, you know, believe? It's just the way it is. I want to suggest to you today that I don't buy this. Because the other side of the question starts here. Is salvation possible for those who aren't Christian? I want to read to you a series of texts that are going to form why I believe what I believe. I believe the answer is yes, that it is possible. Does that mean all will be saved? No, it doesn't. Just the same, it doesn't mean that all people who call on Jesus' name right? Because there are plenty of people who call on Jesus' name, but don't live by Jesus' teachings. There's not love. There's not kindness. First text, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. You do understand what a foundation is all about, right? It's what everything else rests on. Righteousness and justice. And you could say, well, who gets to define justice? Well, God defines it pretty thoroughly throughout the Bible. Read up and take a look. I don't have time to do that whole thing for you right now. But justice is probably what you think it is. It means that God does the right thing. He's fair. And sometimes fair means that you hold people to different levels of accountability. Unfailing love and truth walk before you as attendants. So I have to tell you, my first deep conviction is that God is righteous, he is just, and he exhibits unfailing love. First John tells us that God is love. I did a whole sermon series on 1 Corinthians 13 that defines what that love looks like. Go back and review it if you need to. Romans 1, since we're quoting Romans before this, let's see what Romans 1 says. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky 
Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. So right there, Paul, who a little earlier said something that sounded a little bit different, Paul says, people can know God based on only what they've been given. God displays himself in nature. Oh, it's so can. All I need is nature. No, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is God is able to use what he has presented to these people so that they can know him. Ezekiel 18.23 says this, Do you think that I like to see wicked people die, says the sovereign Lord? Of course not. I want them to turn from their wicked ways and live. It leaves me flabbergasted how many people seem to think that God really gets some sort of sick kick out of watching people burn for all eternity. Which, by the way, is not something the Seventh-day Adventist denomination believes. God is very clear in the Bible. I don't like, does that mean that the wicked won't perish? No, that's not what the, the verse is saying. That's not what I would say that it's saying. But to think that God is kind of out there just kind of trying to look for reasons to not allow you into heaven, that's not who God is. It's just the opposite. God is looking for every reason possible for you to be in heaven with him. Just like me with my kids. I talked about this last week. Do you think I'm looking for reasons for my kids not to be around me? No. I'm looking for every reason I can to spend time with my kids. Romans 2.14 says this, Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. See, what we believe as Christians is that God put into each one of us a moral compass that is embedded deep into us. No matter where you were born, what age you were born in, God put a moral compass inside of you that says to you, hey, that's not the right thing to do. Hey, that is the right thing to do. Now, do some moral compasses get broken? Sometimes but we're all born with it, according to the Bible. Romans 2.14, they demonstrate that God's law is written on their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts, either accuse them or tell them that what they're doing is right. So these are a couple reasons. Now, let's go back to that verse. You need to call on the name of Jesus in order to be saved. You have to call on the name of Jesus, like J-E-S-U-S. Firstly, we should understand that none of us are actually calling on Jesus' real name in our English language. Uh, you know? Okay? Yeshua would probably be the proper name. It might even sound a little different back then. So let's start with that. But here's another thing. Hebrews 11 and 12 kind of brings up a good point. This is God's hall of fame. If you've never read, read Hebrews 11, it's God's kind of hall of fame. These are the people. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses' parents, Moses, the people of Israel, Rahab, by the way, not an Israelite. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. Here's the problem. How many of those people called on Jesus' name? They were all before Jesus. By faith, they looked forward to what Jesus was going to do, not knowing what his name was going to be, but understanding that a Messiah would come and redeem them. So the problem is, if you want to go with a literal, you must call on the name of Jesus and believe that he was raised back to life. None of these people get to be in heaven. 
because they didn't know his name. And they, many of them had no idea what the Messiah would look like. We can get a good idea of that because John the Baptist, who foretold Jesus that was there proclaiming the way, didn't get what Jesus was doing. So there were many of these people that did not have some sort of prophetic gift where they saw an empty tomb and said, yes, I believe in that. They just believed that God was going to do the right thing by them and that he was going to make it possible for them to experience salvation. Here's the other problem with that, just, just uh, if you just believe in the name of Jesus Christ part. James 2.19 says, you have faith, for you believe there's one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. Go through the Gospels and see how many times demons say, this is the Son of God about Jesus. Do you think the demons believe that Jesus was raised from the dead? They watched it happen. You better believe they know it happened. So when we start talking about believing in Jesus, it has to be something a little bit deeper than just some sort of quick, just say it and there, there you go. Some sort of little magical, you just say the words and the incantations right. It's got to be something more than that because the demons believe that Jesus is the son of God and they live in terror of him. It's got to be more than that. It's got to be not just believing in who Jesus is, but believing the message of who Jesus is. You know that whole love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul and your neighbor in the same way? You got to believe that. That's the message of Jesus. As I've told you more than a couple times, in biblical times, people's names weren't just like a, a series of letters and an indicator. A name represented your character. And so we can understand when, when it says to believe in the name of Jesus, part of that, what that means is to believe in Jesus' character and who he was, what he stood for, and to be with him in that. The final reason from the Bible that I want to give you that I believe that there will be people in heaven who never knew Jesus' name is this. After this, I saw a vast crowd, Revelation 7, too great to count from every nation, tribe, and people, and language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Now let's just back up a second. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count. Where? Every nation. Every nation. Has every nation had Jesus explained to them over the course of history? No. Has every tribe and people and language had Jesus explained to them? No. And yet, John the Revelator saw a crowd too great to count from every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language. So as it turns out, it isn't just a small minority that have been chosen by God because their skin color happens to be right and they happen to be born in the right place and speak the right language. And you know what we're all going to do together? That's what we're going to do. There's going to be a great roar. That's why we like our music to feel like a great roar. Salvation comes from our God. 
Salvation doesn't come from me saying the right words. Salvation comes from our God. Do I need to believe in my heart? I do. Take none of that away. I think it's important. I think my life is better because I know Jesus. I think I'm blessed to have Jesus and not to be a person who doesn't know Jesus. But I'm also grateful that, in my opinion, treating everybody the same is not fair, and God understands that. And he understands where each person has been and where they're headed and what influences have been in their life. You say, okay, Ken, that's nice. You're the pastor of the whole life church. Your opinion, eh, okay. So let me go ahead and quote a couple other people that may have more clout with you. Is that okay? These are non-biblical references, so take them for what you want to. Ever heard of a guy named John Wesley? Kind of a famous uh, evangelist and preacher. In one of his sermons, he called on living with God that I found in Perspectives Digest. They quoted him as saying from this sermon, let it be observed, John Wesley says, I purposely add to those who are under the Christian dispensation because I have no authority from the word of God to judge those that are without, nor do I conceive that any man living has a right to sentence all the heathen and Mahatman world. Just remember when he was born and when he was talking, okay? So if that language offends you, just, just understand he was right in a different time, different place, okay? Has the right to sentence all the heathen and Mahatman world to damnation. It is far better to leave them to him that made them and who is the father of the spirits of all flesh who is the God of the heathens as well as the Christians and who hateth nothing that he has made. Oh, I love that. Who hateth nothing that he has made. Every human being is a child of God. Every human being is one of his kids. And God doesn't hate any of his kids. He may not like what they're doing, those kids may choose to not be in relationship with him, but God doesn't hate anybody. Well, let's move a little closer to the Seventh-day Adventist faith. One of our founders, Ellen White, who God spoke to directly in the Desire of Ages, page 638, wrote this. Those whom Christ commends in the judgment have known little of theology, but they have cherished his principles through the influence of the divine spirit, they have been a blessing to those about them. Even among the heathen are those who have cherished the spirit of kindness. Before the words of life had fallen upon their ears, they befriended the missionaries, even ministering to them at the peril of their own lives. Among the heathen are those who worship God ignorantly, those to whom the light is never brought by human instrumentality, yet they will not perish. Though ignorant of the written law of God, they have heard his voice speaking to them in nature and have done the things that the law required. Another one of my favorite writers is a guy named C.S. Lewis. Actually, I didn't finish that quote. Their works are evidence that the Holy Spirit has touched their hearts and they are recognized. Oh, this, I can't believe I almost left this out. They are recognized as children of God. Yeah, love it. As I was saying, one of my favorite authors is a guy named C.S. Lewis, and I'm not going to lie to you. Um, 
I like children's books. Chronicles of Narnia, just awesome, just love them. And my favorite out of that is this one, The Last Battle. It's the final book in the series. It's the Armageddon book. It's the revelation of the Chronicles of Narnia. And in it, a, uh, a uh, kind of evil ape fools people into believing that this poor donkey who's had a, a lion's skin wrapped around him is the real Aslan. Aslan is a Christ figure in, in, in this uh, allegory. And, and, and so this, this ape fools many people. And, and then, they, and then the, the ape says that, that Aslan, the good king, the Jesus figure, is the same as a, a foreign god named Tash, who is a, a demon and, and an evil, evil, evil spirit. And so the ape fools people into believing that. And then there's this final showdown between the forces of, of Tash and the true believers in the true Aslan. And amongst the, the followers, amongst the followers of, of Tash is a young man. And as you read the way that, that uh, C.S. Lewis writes him, as you read the way that he writes him, you, you start, his name is Emeth, which by the way, uh, just a little trivia fact for those of you who might not know it, means truth in Hebrew. And, and so Emeth is noble. And when you read about him, even though he's a part of that evil army, he's doing all the right things. He cares about truth. He cares about justice. He cares about kindness and doing the right thing. And after the final battle, there's this scene where, where all of a sudden, all those that were on Aslan's side find themselves in a beautiful new Narnia. And shockingly, they come across Emeth. And I want to read to you what Emeth has to say to those who are surprised to see him. He says that he saw Aslan come to him. And he said, I fell at his feet and thought, surely this is the hour of death for the lion who is worthy of all honor will know that I have served Tash all my days and not him. Nevertheless, it is better to see the lion and die than to be the, the leader of the world and live and not to have seen him. But the glorious one, the glorious one bent down his golden head and touched my forehead with his tongue and said, son, thou art welcome. But I said, alas, Lord, I am no son of thine, but the servant of Tash. He answered, child, all the service thou hast done to Tash, I account as service done to me. Then by reasons of my great desire for wisdom and understanding, I overcame my fear and questioned the glorious one and said, then Lord, is it then true as the ape said that thou and Tash are one? The lion growled so that the earth shook, but his wrath was not against me. And the lion said, it is false. Not because he and I are one, but because we are opposites. I take to me the services which thou hast done to him, for I and he are of such different kinds that no service which is vile can be done to me, and none which is not vile can be done to him. Therefore, if any man swear by Tash and keep his oath for the oath's sake, it is 
by me that he is truly sworn, though he know it not. And it is I who reward him. And this is important, family. Listen to this. And if any man do a cruelty in my name, then though he says the name Aslan, it is Tash whom he serves. And by Tash, his deed is accepted. Dost thou understand, child? I said, Lord, thou knowest how much I understand. But I, also, I said also, for the truth constrain me, yet I have been seeking Tash all my days. Beloved, said the glorious one, unless thy desire had been for me, thou wouldst not have sought so long and truly, for all find what they truly seek. Oh, gives me goosebumps. Just love it. C.S. Lewis explains it a little bit further in Mere Christianity on page 165. He says it this way, the world does not consist 100% of Christians and 100% non-Christians. There are people, a great many of them, who are slowly ceasing to be Christians, but still call themselves by that name. Some of them are clergymen. There are other people who are slowly becoming Christian, though they do not yet call themselves so. There are people who do not accept the full Christian doctrine about Christ, but who are so strongly attracted by him that they are his in a much deeper sense than they themselves understand. There are people in other religions who are being led by God's secret influence to concentrate on those parts of their religion which are in agreement with Christianity and who thus belong to Christ without even knowing it. I'll let C.S. Lewis, Ellen White, and John Wesley, who are much more eloquent than I am, have that word on that. And I will finish off with Jesus' own words. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me, just as my father knows me, and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that I sacrifice my life for too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. And right there's your key. They will listen to my voice. You catch the key? They will listen to my voice. Do you, do you understand? They will listen to my voice. Family, if you're a Christian, you're not listening to Jesus' voice. You're not in Jesus' sheepfold. Jesus' sheep, no matter where they're found, when they hear Jesus' voice, they recognize it. And there will be one flock with one shepherd. Well, Ken, it's so good to make it all the way over here to the chair today. You have arrived, Richard. There this is, is... Uh, there's a, a film that, that I love uh, about musicians um, called 20 Feet from Stardom. It's about all the backup singers that are supporting and this, this like a closed circle of who they are. And that's basically how I always feel when I'm always right over there and I'm so close to the chair. Oh, I thought but you were about never... to say, I thought you were saying I was the one because I always think of you guys that <laughs> way. So I was, I was oh. 20 feet away from it. Well, so. I don't you, you, can, you can audition anytime. All right, all Pastor. right. You're I welcome. can. I won't do well. You're welcome to. All right, our first question that we have today for you. Here we go. If it doesn't matter if people know Jesus in order to be saved, why do we send missionaries or share the gospel ourselves? That's a super good question. 
Um, and I'm glad it was asked because it, it was part of what I, if I was able to do a second sermon, I would do th- that one as the second p- piece of this. Um, so in the song we sang, my chains are gone. I've been set free. And here at this church, uh, we, we, we talk about Juneteenth. Uh, if you're not familiar with that, um, it's, it's a holiday celebrated in the African-American community. Um, when uh, they celebrate it because it was on Ju- in June that several years after slavery had been abolished, the news was taken by the army to Texas to the African-American slaves living there and let them know that they were free. And so the reason we send uh, missionaries out is because while people have been set free by God's grace, they need to know it. They need to know it. I happen to believe that sometimes we get a little confused. We think that, that this is only about eternal salvation, and eternal salvation is important, but it's also important how we live here on this earth. And I happen to believe that Jesus makes me, uh, what one of my associate pastors at Madison campus, Nacho Silverio, used to say, he says that, that, that Jesus makes my life better and makes me better at life. And I think that that's one of the reasons why we share the gospel with other people, because their life is better when they know Jesus. It's improved. It's not simply just that they're not going to be lost anymore. It's that they make the world around them a better place and that they are better for it. And so, to me, that's the reason why that it has... And it's interesting that Ellen White was very evangelistic. If you, she was a very big fan of sending out missionaries, and yet she still held this view that, that, that we do this because it makes people's life better. I love that answer. You know, I come from a family where uh, both, my mother's, both my mother's parents were raised in different mission fields as long-term missionaries. My grandfather was raised in China for decades, my grandmother in Peru. And lately, missionaries have gotten this bad rap, right, that, that we've been, you know, oppressing societies and doing things. But all I can say is that I've known the people who were there, and they're the most godly people I've ever met who served and lived very poorly. They didn't, they don't, you know, there wasn't this conquest mentality. So for whatever things that went wrong, there's, yeah, I, man, I, I, I so appreciate it. Sometimes we... <laughs> We, we throw the baby out with the bathwater because, because some missionaries did things in a way that was unethical, un, unloving, unchristlike. That, that means that missionary, that missionary activity isn't, isn't good and useful. Um, you know, if you want to see it, I mean, watch. There's a great documentary called, I think, The Gates of Heaven. Uh, they made another movie on the same idea called The End of the Spear. And it's about uh, these missionaries down in South America that went to a, a tribe that was full of violence. They, 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 it was always retribution. And, and you ask those people after they've experienced Jesus whether they're glad that somebody came and told them. They are. I love that. A question from Raison. Good to see you, my friend. Good to see you. Regarding Romans 10.9, would that not be suggesting that some action of ours could add to the grace of God that is freely given and not earned? Romans 10.9. Razan, stand up and read that aloud for me, please, so that I can... Uh, I, I hate to admit to you that I do not have the whole thing, but I do have a Bible right here in front of me, so give me just a second. What was it? 
Oh, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Oh, okay, there, there we go. And believe in your heart. <laughs> I apparently don't even have my own memor- sermon memorized. So there you go. Um, yeah, yeah, that one. It's okay. It's, it's right. Yeah. Um, so that's saying that you can add something. Um, depending on how you interpret it, yeah, absolutely. I think if you interpret it that it's, it's by saying the magic words, you, you make things, uh, you make God have to give you salvation, then yeah, I think that that's uh, definitely implying something that isn't biblical. On the other hand, if there is an element that each one of us is responsible for in our walk with Jesus, and that's the, whether we choose to listen to his voice or not. And, and that, uh, to me, that's not works-oriented, because if I fail to adequately do things the way that he tells me to do, there's grace for me as long as I keep on listening, um, and I want to be in communion with my shepherd. So, yeah, great question. All right, we've got one more question here, and then we're going to jump to Stanley, who's got uh, something online. This is from Gerald's dad. Gerald's dad often watches, in, is he in Avon Park? So, all right, right. This is from your dad. Why should I be concerned about the salvation of others when I myself may be lost? Shouldn't I be more concerned that I get to the new heaven and earth for sure? So, um, so yeah, uh, I, I like that question, and I'm also concerned with that question a little bit. Um, so, if I were to say, if, if there was one thing that Christ came to show, it was that self-sacrifice is the cornerstone of God's character, um, and that selfishness is the cornerstone of Satan's character. And the argument, the disagreement, the cosmic disagreement was over whether selfishness was God's character or whether perfect love and giving was God's character. So I'm going to answer this question in a way that may not be overly satisfying. I've said what I said just before that, and what I'm going to also say is this. I think that we come to know Jesus best when we share him with other people. I think that if you really know Jesus, you can't just focus on yourself. You have to focus on sharing him. And I'm really grateful, really, really grateful that God gifted me through human beings, the ability to share him with others as a very imperfect person before I ever, I don't know if I still truly understand the gospel. I just don't know if any of us can really understand the depth of God's love and the truth of it. But before I have the understanding that I have now, I'm grateful that God gave me the opportunity to start sharing it because it inspired me to study more, learn more, grow more. And I got asked questions that made me go, oh, wow, that's a good question. I ought to think about that a little bit more. So my encouragement to you is share Jesus with others. It, it is, the, it is the, the fertilizer that will make your spiritual life grow. Absolutely be concerned with your salvation, but not terrified. Thank you. I, I, I do just wanted to add to that because that's been a, something we've heard lately. I've seen polls about Christians who aren't quite sure if they're saved, even among, uh, or especially among Seventh-day Adventists. And I just want to say, you accept Jesus into your heart and you are saved. There is nothing you can do about that. We're going to follow God. We're going to do all those things, but we can't add to it. We accept it. You are saved. Believe it. You're saved by the grace of Jesus. Amen. We just sang it. It's a gift. You're saved. 
Stanley, take it away, because you just can't stay away, Stanley. Go ahead. <laughs> Stanley's representing our online viewers, you, so he's, uh, he's here gonna... outside, though. That's, that's uh, not allowed in there. I'm just kidding. Oh, no, but uh, we did get a lot of questions from our online audience. Uh, these came in while you guys were chatting. Uh, we'll go with Alicia's question, where she asks, if Revelation says that by the end, God's word will have reached all the ends of the earth, where do those who have followed God by action and heart but still claim to follow another God fail. So just by following God's actions and his heart, but they still follow someone else, can they still fail? And how do they fail? That was a little hard to hear um, for me where I'm sitting. Um, and not, So if I'm understanding the question correctly, is basically if the, if the gospel goes out to the entire world at the end and there's still people who have not accepted Christ, then do we take Stanley away? Then at that, then where do they fit into things? Yes, then, but still claim to follow God, another God. How do they still fail? Is the question. Where do they fall? I'm sorry. Where do oh. they fall? I read it wrong. I'm sorry. Where do they fall? Do they they fall into the saved or unsaved? So. Here is where I'm going to go ahead and do another unsatisfying thing and say, I don't know. All I know is that God is just, that he is fair, and that he will, that his desire and heart is for all that want to follow and listen to his voice to be saved. So I don't know. I don't know the answer, but that's, I just believe in a God that, that's fair Thank you, and, I, and I, I really appreciate the authenticity of just, we don't know everything. We're going to take these questions as we can, and thank you for that, and thank you for this time, Pastor Kent. Thank you, back. Richard. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We want to love you more. We are so grateful for your love and the message that's transformed our lives. Help us not to hoard it. Help us to share it. Help us to really care about those whose lives can be transformed, who can have their chains taken away, who are longing for a deeper understanding of who you are. Thank you for being a God who takes each one of us where we are, understands our backgrounds, understands where we're coming from, and treats us with complete grace wherever we're coming from. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Family, I love you. Go love your world. Oh, I was trying to get out of that. Okay. Okay. Tammy, Tammy nearly tackled me. I was scared for a second. I was like, wow, this is... I've had people... Oh, it's two slides, so I'll need somebody to advance the second one for me because I left my clicker over there. All right, so I hear questions all the time about the great difference between the angry... Oh, okay, we're getting some good stuff here. Between the angry Old Testament God and the loving New Testament God, so much of the Bible is poetic, metaphoric, and prophetic. If it was written by people within a variety of ancient cultures without benefit of the scientific and technological understandings of today, how can we understand these inconsistencies? How literally should we take Scripture? Ah, Pastor Andy, this is you next week, sir. Um, no, no, I'm kidding. I'm, this is, you know, 
I may or may not have canceled a trip because I wanted to preach on this so bad, this, this kind of topic so bad. I love this kind of thing. Anyway, so thank you for the question. Can't wait to answer it as best as I can next week. We'll see you then. I love you. Hi, this is Randy McGray, podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church, and our podcasts, Speaking of Grace, and its companion, 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff, are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians, all focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, wholelife.church slash podcast. And plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the Whole Life Church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.